0: This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2.
1: The Hope Book Club with Katrina Rowe and Natasha Moore. Because life's just better with a book.
2: Welcome to The Hope Book Club with Katrina Rowe and Natasha Moore. In episode 23 of The Hope Book Club, we are exploring Fleischman is in Trouble by Taffy Brodesser-Akner. The story of what really happens when a marriage breaks down. We're taking a look at the hostage drama Bel Canto by Anne Patchett. And I've been reading the latest Jojo Moyes book, The Giver of Stars, about the packhorse librarians in the mountains of Kentucky. Plus, we bring our top five heartwarming reads during the pandemic. But first, let's hear from Fleischman is in Trouble by Taffy Brodesser-Akner.
0: Toby and Rachel had separated at the very beginning of June, just after school ended, the culmination of an almost year-long process. Or maybe a process that began shortly after their wedding 14 years before. Depends on whom you ask or how you look at a thing. Is a marriage that ends doomed from the start? Was the marriage over when the problems that would never get solved started? Or when they finally agreed that the problems couldn't be solved? Or when other people finally learned about it? Of course, Cindy Lefler wanted information. Everyone did. The conversations were always artless and they were always the same. The first thing people wanted to know was how long things in the marriage had been bad for. Were you unhappy that night at the school gala when you were showing off your college swing dancing lessons? Were you unhappy at that bat mitzvah when you took her hand and kissed it absent-mindedly during the speeches? Was I right that at the parent-teacher conferences when you stood by the coffee and she stood over by the office checking her phone, you were actually fighting? How it shook people to see someone extricate themselves from a bad situation. How people so brazenly wondered aloud every private thing there was to wonder. Toby's cousin Cherry, who was prone to long, disappointing stares at her husband Ron. Had you tried therapy? His boss, Donald Bartuck, whose second wife had been a nurse on the heptology floor. Were you unfaithful? The camp director at the Y, when Toby was explaining that his kids might be a little shaky since when the camp started they'd just separated. Did you guys have a regular date night? These questions weren't really about him. No, they were questions about how perceptive people were and what they'd missed and who else was about to announce their divorce and whether the undercurrent of tension in their own marriages would eventually lead to their demise. Did the fight I had with my wife on our actual anniversary that was particularly vicious mean that we were going to get divorced? Do we argue too much? Do we have enough sex? Is everyone else having more sex? Can he get divorced within six months of an absent-minded hand kiss at a bat mitzvah? How miserable is too miserable? One day he would not be recently divorced, but he would never forget those questions. The way people pretended to care for him while they were really asking after themselves.
2: That was from "Flashman is in Trouble by Taffy Brodesser-Akner. It's the story of a 41-year-old man, Toby Fleischman, going through a bitter divorce from his wife of 15 years. It explores how men and women relate to each other, both in friendship and in marriage. Natasha Moore is here from the Centre for Public Christianity. G'day, Natasha. Hi, how you doing? Good to have you with us. Um, hopefully, maybe... One day soon we'll be able to do this in person again. (laughs) What is going on for Toby Fleischman at the start of this novel?
1: A lot is going on for poor Toby. Um, So Toby is going through a divorce from his wife, Rachel, and he's pretty disoriented, I guess. Um, So he's been trying to save his marriage for a long time and it hasn't been working and now he's kind of feeling relief that um, it's, over Um, and uh, he's kind of a lot of the book you know a bit of a content warning here focuses on his new life on dating apps kind of and hookup culture particularly among New York divorcees so you know all that is kind of a bit overwhelming and uh, explicit. A bit explicit Um, okay. Overwhelmingly to him as well. Right. He's a bit like, what is going on? I was not this kind of desirable or popular among women when I was, you know, in my early twenties and single. And as a kind of 41 year old divorced man, he's like, what is going on? This is such a different dating scene. So a lot of it is kind of social observation commentary about that. But it's also that, you know, his relationship with his kids, um, you know, his daughter entering of the awkward teenage phase and being so kind of miserable um, and uh, harsh and what it's like to be a teenage girl and also the kind of New York elite society that they're in. There's a lot of wealth and a lot of kind of superficiality and judginess and um, this bubble where things are kind of great but things are also awful um and it kind of really parses that in an interesting and devastating way um so early on in the novel his wife his soon-to-be ex-wife rachel basically disappears she doesn't show up to pick up the kids when she's supposed to and he can't find her or get in touch with her and then it's kind of everything falling apart from there as he tries to figure out what's happened to her and what to do with the kids and stuff like that
2: what kind of picture does the novel paint of modern marriage, Natasha? Look, not a rosy one,
1: let's say. It's pretty depressing on marriage and on divorce. The reason I read it is first and foremost because it's Taffy Brodister-Akner's first novel, but she is already a very accomplished writer. For instance, she wrote a thing about Um, Hillsong for GQ several years ago, which is just a brilliant article. She recently wrote a profile of Tom Hanks for the New York Times and just everything about her writing is wonderful. So I'm like, if she's writing a novel, I'm reading it. I don't Mm. really care what it's about. Um, But also I read an article that she wrote about her experience of going around and doing a book tour about her first novel, which is all about divorce, but actually she's married presumably kind of happily married, but her thing that she's kind of obsessed with is divorce Um, and she's like there's a lot of this around and nobody really talks about it, like what the actual experience is like. And so she really wanted to write a book about that. Um, And I think in terms of skewering like marriage dynamics, divorce dynamics, what she kind of calls the black box of what's going on in someone's relationship that people on the outside think they know about but don't really know about. I think all of that is really incisive and kind of devastating but also fascinating and probably important.
2: Mm. The other sort of layer to this novel is that the story about Toby is kind of being told by a woman, one of his friends, who also goes through some kind of growing awareness about the nature of her relationship with Toby. Can you explain how that works and how that plays out in the book? So in one sense, I'm not totally sure it does work, to
1: be honest. Um, Even though I love Taffy's writing um, uh, and I think the writing in the book is really brilliant, uh, it's a while before you realise that there is a narrator, Mm. um, that it's not just a third person omniscient, that actually it's being told by his friend Libby who, you know, they were friends back from when they were 20 years old, um, but they've fallen out of touch and then kind of, You know, he's trying to reconnect with friends while going through his divorce. So she kind of comes back into his life and it's told by her. But there's kind of a having it both ways thing here in that we learn a lot about Toby and even just the details of his daily life that Libby couldn't possibly know. So it's told both from her perspective and also as though it's an omniscient third-person narrator Mm. um, and kind of wants the best of both worlds, I think. But it does kind of give you, because she is a woman who's kind of sympathetic to Toby, but also has her own, you know, she's got this lovely husband, and um, biographically, she's a lot like Taffy Brodesarakna. So she used to write for a men's magazine. Um, now she's a stay-at-home mom, and she has kind of like in the suburbs of New Jersey, and she doesn't know how she feels about that and who she is. Um, and so she's kind of working through her own sense of like, am I a middle-aged suburban mom, and is this who I wanted to be? And then later in the novel, slight spoiler alert, we do get Rachel, um, Toby's wife, ex-to-be, soon-to-be ex-wife, um, her perspective coming in, which of course changes things quite dramatically from after feeling sorry for poor, aggrieved Toby, how things actually played out for his wife is a very different story. So we do, I think having the, like, women's perspective in there um, and all of that being super complicated I think makes it really, again, not a comfortable read but, and
2: yeah, a potentially important one. Do any of the characters sort of learn anything about themselves and how their relationships have gotten messed up from all this? Mm, That's a good question.
1: I think we learn about them and maybe about us through that. Um, I don't know if we could really say that they learn because we see inside and therefore we have kind of a wider view from all of them I think maybe the narrator Libby she kind of gets places in terms of like okay here's the life I've chosen and here's what I'm doing and why I'm doing it but you know none of that that doesn't make any of it easy that life is still kind of demanding and sometimes rubbish and also glorious but also mundane and Mm -hmm. like I've used the word complicated a lot but I think that's probably one of the you know guiding principles of the book is complexity that everything's complex and that anger is a natural but very unhelpful response to all the things that go wrong in our lives,
2: mm.
1: something like that.
2: It sounds kind I'm of depressing so- to me, Natasha. Like I, I just I don't know if I would want to read that book, just being honest. So what did you <laughs> like about it? It is depressing. Um, it's
1: also funny her writing is very um, uh, just so uh, talented, like so rich. So, especially in kind of painting this picture of um, the kind of upper crust New York society that they're moving in. So, there's this telling moment quite early in the novel where Toby reflects on, you know, a friend of his. So, he's a doctor um, at a New York hospital. Um, he's very successful. He earns, you know, quite a lot of money by most people's standards. But because, you know, his wife has been very, in his view, social climbing and wanting to be part of kind of the country club set, uh, they're in this kind of um, bracket above their own backgrounds. Um, And, you know, one of the finance guys, one of the other dads at his kids' school says to him, oh, you know, what would you do if um, your kids came to you and they said they wanted to be a doctor and it wasn't until afterwards thinking about it that Toby's like oh he was implying that would be a bad thing because it's such a dead-end job like financially speaking being a doctor oh wow Okay, (laughs) like that's the kind of you know milieu that they're in and so it just kind of like the picture of that I found just like hilarious and kind of horrifying but in a hilarious way so even like all the women the things that they kind of like even the the tops that they wear to the gym, which have all these ridiculous things written on them, like, you know, yoga and vodka or, you know, brunch so hard or like these kind of just little needling social observations that you're like, oh, yeah, people are ridiculous and that's all <laughs> quite fun. So if you like New York and if you like
2: taffy, which I do, then I'd recommend it to you. Okay, next is Bel Canto by Anne Patchett. Loosely based on true events, Bel Canto explores the experiences of a group of high-profile diplomats who were held hostage by terrorists. In lockdown together, their relationships and their responses to the situation define who they really are. So how does the hostage situation come about in the novel? Yes,
1: yeah, so I didn't actually realise it was based on a true story until – um after I'd read it, Um, so I kind of thought it was totally imagined. Um, And the real situation took place in Peru, but in the novel we're in kind of a non-specified South American country. Um, We're at the uh, vice president's home um, there's a big party which has been thrown, it's a birthday party for this um, Japanese uh, industrialist, uh, Katsumi Hosokawa, and he's been kind of lured out to this country. They kind of want him to invest in the country, to bring his kind of company over. Um, he has no intention of doing that. And actually the only reason that he's come is because their bait for the party was that they were getting this famous opera singer, Roxanne Kos, to come and sing. Um, And he is a massive opera fan and he thinks she's just the best singer ever. Um, And so he comes because he wants to hear her sing. So he's brought some people there, a bunch of diplomats there, some other kind of random characters. And just as Roxanne Cost has kind of done her performance, the lights all go out and there are these kind of guerrilla, these rebels, these militants who have kind of uh, made their way into the house and take over. Um, And what they want is to kidnap the president, but the president, as it turns out, didn't come because he wanted to stay home and watch his soap opera. So then they're a bit like, we don't know what to do. So they just take everybody hostage (laughs) and then they end up in the standoff for what turns out to be quite some time. Um, They kind of let most of the women go fairly quickly, but they keep Roxanne Koss, the opera singer, Mm -hmm. and they enter this Period of everybody living together in the vice president's mansion.
2: Wow. So, how do the various uh, characters react to this strange situation that they find themselves in? Well, this is what's really fascinating about this novel,
1: right? So, it should be this kind of terrible, stressful, miserable situation. And in some ways, it is, you know, these people are being held hostage. But because of a number of factors, partly because the terrorists are like total amateurs and they don't really know what they're doing um, and once their plan goes awry, they don't really know what to do and what to ask for. So, you know, the army's outside, um, this Red Cross negotiator comes in and out, um, but they don't really know what to ask for and no one's kind of, no one wants to storm the place and kind of kill hostages. Um, and also they don't really want to kill hostages either That was not their intention at all. Mm. Um, And then, of course, the hostages themselves, you know, the, like, French ambassador, this Japanese CEO and his lovely young translator, this guy, Jen, who is very, very talented and he's the only one in the house who speaks all the languages. There are these Russians, there's, you know, people who speak Spanish, but nobody speaks kind of more than one language. So he has to go between everybody. And you end up with this kind of, like, they're all fraternising, like the terrorists and the hostages, Mm. various people fall in love and they also kind of enter into this timeless state where, you know, they used to be executives at companies and be super busy all the time and have this like responsibility laden life, but suddenly they have nothing to do all day and they just have to be there. And it's for some of them a bit Lovely, mm. weirdly so.
2: So, this is kind That's of like magical. lockdown during coronavirus. Well,
1: it is a bit like, you know, obviously it's a terrible situation. Like the hostage thing is a terrible situation, a global pandemic, terrible situation. But for some people, I guess you could kind of experience it as a release from ordinary life everything is cancelled like it's time to slow down they're remote from the real world nothing is required of them they can do nothing they can learn a language they can think about what they actually care about in life and just pay attention to the little things that are beautiful or interesting and so it's kind of actually really beautiful and this just period of their lives that they'll look back on later as quite special and quite
2: different from everything else they've been through. It sounds a bit like a highbrow version of The Breakfast Club. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, I'd love quite. to read that. Uh, the trainer, you that. <laughs> um, now, it's called Bel Canto. That's an operatic term. Does music play a role in the novel? Yes, it does very much. And I think um, <laughs> that was maybe
1: Anne Patchett's kind of the origin I read of the novel was her kind of looking at the situation that really did happen in Peru with this month's-long standoff um, and going, actually, this is an amazing story and the only thing missing is an opera singer um, and here's all the things you could do with the story if you have an (laughs) opera singer um, involved. Because she is held captive with actually just all these men, there's kind of she's the the focal point of the whole thing um, for everyone, for the terrorists and for um, the hostages. And just her singing is just this unearthly, beautiful, amazing thing, Um, which, you know, there are huge opera fans there. Um, There's this priest who happened to be there because he was a big fan of hers. There's the rebels. There are these teenagers who have come from kind of, abject poverty and have never heard anything like this and what it does for them to kind of hear like this form of music and culture that they just had no idea existed. Uh, So that kind of like runs through and transfigures the whole novel and I guess goes a long way towards the sort of magical realism, like magical bubble feel of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So it's a really beautiful book.
2: I really recommend it. I think it's an everyone book. I thought it was lovely. Okay. So look, so far we're here. We're alive. We've survived a global pandemic. I think we need feel good books. Um, So Natasha, I've asked you and I've done it as well to put together a top five of books that make you feel good, heartwarming books, books that make you love being alive and make you love reading. So um, what's your first choice? Okay. So this was hard, right? (laughs) It was hard
1: to do just five, but it's also like um, am I picking books that are all too similar? Um, are these too obvious? Are they too obscure? So, you know, we're just we're just going random five
2: here, right? So yeah, number one. It doesn't I mean, have to be that five is the least and one is the best or anything like that. It's yeah, just,
1: okay. yeah. Okay. Here's the one I have to say, which is Guernsey, obviously. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Guernsey
1: the Guernsey Literary and
2: Potato Peel Pies. Yeah, that was mine. That was there as well for yeah, me. Yeah, I thought you might have that one too. Yeah, I think we should just but, get that out of Well, I sort of put that with a slash because I thought Natasha's going to pick that for sure. So it, it is in my list. <laughs> but as an alternative choice, I put Anne of Green Gables because I just think you can read that any time, any age. It's delightful. You know, when you read it, you'll think, oh, I'd forgotten how good this is. Yeah, and it'll make you mm. feel good about mm. life. Um, so my next one, and
1: we've talked about this not so long ago, but I just think it is so delightful, um, is "Heartburn" by Nora Ephron. It's just so much fun.
2: Oh, nice! So, that's, that's interesting. So mine is Leanne Moriarty, "What Alice Forgot," because I had that as a backup option. Oh, really? Well, see, I yeah. I chose that one for now because I think. One thing about lockdown, if you are in a relationship, like a romantic relationship, you know, it can be a little bit testing uh, or or it could really enhance your relationship. It could go either way, you know, because you're sort of stuck with each other a lot more than usual and you don't get those breaks from, you know, going out with other people and that sort of thing. And I felt like this book, What Alice Forgot, could help you make better choices in your relationship uh, because – that was what I got out of that book. I sort of got that, you know, the choices they made, they played out in these ways, and it was—it's it, a wake-up call. I thought it was—I thought it would be a really helpful read at this time. It's fun too. Aww. Yeah. Okay, so here's my next one. It's a bit random.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it's this book that I just stumbled across, and I think there's a whole series of them, but I've only read one. It's called Pomfret Towers. It's by Angela Thurkel. It's from kind of the 19. 19- 30s maybe oh. um and it's just it's kind of one of those like aristocratic like weekend house parties like you know the local girl goes to stay at the big house mm. um and there's all this you know the young people hanging out and people tearing off or you know who they're expected to marry and who they're, and it's just not that there's no friction but like there's no kind of like oh no I'll oh, know, and what it's just the whole thing is lovely the whole thing is kind mm. of delightful and easy to read and the characters are great and it is just, it's no pain.
2: That's fun. nice. Well, I've gone the opposite. I've, I've gone for a bit of pain because I feel like this book is the antidote to loneliness. If you are living in a small apartment by yourself working from home in lockdown and feeling a little bit lonely, um, you know, because maybe you're not. You haven't, you weren't able to go to work or you weren't able to get out and do stuff. I felt like Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine, would be a great pick because it helps you realise how rich your life is, even if you have one or two good friends.
1: Mm, Interesting. See, now I'm thinking about revising my list. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to drop in one that's indirectly heartwarming. Okay, Okay. yeah. H is for Hawk by Helen MacDonald, which is actually about grief and loss and it's about training a hawk. Um, But I think, like, you've inspired me with the loneliness thing and the kind of processing thing and the kind of feeling isolated thing. I think that's a, like, that's a really fascinating read. And, look, it's nonfiction. It's actually a memoir. So we should have one of those in there. There Okay,
2: sure. Well, mine is... um is also nonfiction, my next pick. Um, and it's Any Ordinary Day by Lee Sales. This book Ooh. details the experiences of people who've suffered immense trauma and loss. And I think why it's so good is that it's really about the resilience and bouncing back from hard times. And I know people have lost jobs and um, are suffering financial hardship and, and some people have lost loved ones. So this book, I think, really can give you hope that no matter what the awful traumatic thing is that you've been through, you can recover and you can make and rebuild your life.
1: Mm-hmm. Good one. Mm. Okay, my fifth, it is, so this is a classic, this is a 19th century novel, but not many people know about it, but it's delightful. Um, it's called Miss Marchbanks, but it's spelt Miss Marjorie Banks, but it said Marchbanks, mm. by Margaret Oliphant. And she has been described as the missing link between Jane Austen and George Eliot. And the whole thing is about, you know, this character, Miss Marchbanks, who kind of um, she is just a force to be reckoned with and she's in this village, but she kind of rules the roost in her house and in the village and just kind of manages everybody's lives. And she is full of energy and kind of a disaster, but also amazing.
2: Well, my choice also features an amazing woman who is also a force to be reckoned with, full of energy, and just a lovely person who restores your faith in humanity. And it is the number one ladies detective agency series by Alexander McCall Smith, which is, of course, set in Botswana. It features Mara Motswe, and she restores justice. Uh, She loves and laughs in a big way, and the book shows you the worst of humanity at times, but also the best of humanity and the way that having a good person in your life can just make all the difference as she you know, cares for people and solves their problems in a really um, hilarious ways. So yeah, that's a great series. It'll keep you going as long as you need it. <laughs> They're all about the series. (laughs) So, yeah, that is my pick. So um, I've got one more uh, offering for this episode, Natasha, and that is that I have been reading uh, The Giver of Stars by Jojo Moyes. Have you ever read Jojo Moyes' book? No, no, I haven't read any. Should I have? So I can't tell you about the other books. I mean, I've always been a little bit um, – I didn't like the premise of Me Before You. Um, I didn't like the idea of it. You know, people can Google that book because they don't know the one where
1: the guy is um, a quadriplegic and the girl is looking after him.
2: Yes, and he right? – yeah, and he he doesn't want to keep on living and I, I've, I've really struggled with that, you know, as, as someone who has um, someone with a disability in their family. I, I found that a very distressing concept. Um, but – You know, it was the book that made her career. Um, But this Giver of Stars, I couldn't resist because, you know, it celebrates libraries and books and it's about women's friendships as well. So Alice is actually an upper-class sort of English lady. She marries a young American mining heir, I guess, uh, called Bennett. He's charming and handsome, but when she gets back home, their marriage Doesn't turn out to be the way she expected it to. They end up living with his overbearing father who controls their life in every way. Mm. In the end, that the marriage. Dissolves, but Alice finds comfort in the friendship of the other women in the small town. Marjorie, Beth, Izzy—these are the librarians, the packhorse librarians of this little village in in Kentucky. And together they ride up into the mountains, and they use books to change lives. And um, and it, it ends up being actually a a little bit of a—it's almost got that John Grisham feel, of that sort of country justice when uh, you know a body turns up, yeah, and yeah. And the town turns against Marjorie, who's kind of been the woman that saved Alice and gave her a second chance at life. And so, Alice and her friends have to fight back for Marjorie as well, and um, and fight to clear her name. So yeah, it's got a lot going on. It's got beautiful friendships. There's kind of romance in there. There's an amazing setting. There's a different time and place. It's set back in the sort of Depression era it's got this this murder element and this uh, justice powerful people you know playing the system and these women is that fighting a back satisfying ending? yeah yeah the, the ending is good um there's a bit of a feminist thing in there too, you know, with women kind of, you know, not, not letting other people tell them how they should live their lives, you know. Yeah, no, it's cool. really good. It's worth a read, yeah. All right, well, that concludes this episode of The Hope Book Club. In this episode, we have reviewed Fleischman is in Trouble by Taffy brodesser Agner. We talked about *Bell Canto by Anne Patchett and The Giver of Stars by Jojo Moyes. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got any feedback, email us, bookclub at hopemedia.com.au. And thanks for listening to another episode of the Hope Book Club because life's just better with a book.
0: Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.